right, all right, all right. Good morning, Hill City. Give yourselves a hand for making it out this morning. Let's go. So proud of you guys. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Say yes. yes. Oh, you can do better than that. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Say yes. yes. Now I want you to look around. We do this periodically. I want you to look around at how good looking you are. Look at how fine you are. In this room, you'll find, and in this church, we are a multiracial church. Come on, somebody say amen. And we always say it like this at Hill City. If you're new, for, uh, new to us, let me just kind of prep you. If you don't like black folk, don't go to heaven. Yeah. If you don't like white folk, don't go to heaven. If you don't like Hispanic folk or Asian folk, we're going to spend eternity together. So we better figure it out here on the planet. Amen. And uh, you don't like older folk or younger folk, they get on your nerves, you better figure it out because we're going to spend forever together in eternity. And so we are a multiracial, multigenerational church, which is expressed in everything we do from our worship all the way down. You, you know, it's funny because the white people are like, I don't know that song right there. I don't know that song. And the black folks, the next song, like, I don't know that song right there. But we've learned to worship together, bring our cultures together, bring the vision of Jesus' plan that we would all be one. Amen? That was his word, that we would be one, even as he and the Father were one. And so we've been working towards that as a church. We've been fighting through all the demonic forces that are present in our present age of, of you know, injustice and, and manipulation. And we are finding the goodness of God as we come together. And so I love you. I'm so proud of you. If if you're brand new to us, I'm Pastor Adam McCain. My wife and I are lead pastors here at Hill City. Would you also do me a favor? Would you clap for our Mansfield campus? Pastors Jonathan and Myrna Pena, they're doing such a good work. And then also Sean and Esmeralda, they do our online campus. Can we clap for our online folks? We love you guys so much. And we're so grateful that we're one family with many locations. And uh, we're believing this year to open up another location in the, uh, in the Arlington area because we believe that Arlington is uh, prime for what God wants to do. And he's been telling us to do it for a few years. So we're walking in obedience. If you want to know more about that, you can look in, uh, go in the foyer area and ask one of our, our team members, say, hey, PA, he was talking about Arlington. I've got something in my heart for that. And we'll start uh, building a team to do what God's told us to do. We're finishing up our series titled Rhema. Everybody say Rhema. You can do better than that. Say Rhema. That's right. And so our key scripture for this series was found in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll turn there quickly, do a quick refresher so that we can all be on the same page because you've lived a lot of life since last Sunday. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is teaching about how um, uh, husbands should love their wives. And he goes into this um, dissertation on you should love your wife sir the way Christ loves the church and he goes on and he brings out this truth he says just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word that last English word word is actually rhema in the Greek rhema and it has this revelatory piece to it it means that literally you you have the utterance of God you have the understanding of God's word his it's not just the word itself it's not just the the print on the page it's a understanding of what's being said a nature of God begins to become a part of your nature the thoughts of God become begin to be a part of your thoughts the rhema of God and he says that the way that Jesus is going to transform us is by washing us with his rhema. Now, I say this uh, throughout the series I've been reminding you. Uh, when you and I became Christians, became followers of Christ, all of us, if you'll remember, you all forgot how to sin in that moment. It just went away. You didn't know how to smoke weed anymore. You didn't know how to curse anymore. You didn't know how to have a bad attitude. It just went away, right? You were like, oh, my God, I can't even remember those curse words. Is that the truth? Everybody say no. That's a lie. 
We all made a decision for Christ. Now we feel guilty that we got all this junk still inside of us, right? And that's what Jesus does. He washes us through the rhema. He transitions us, transforms us on a daily basis through the Word of God. The Word of God is magical, supernatural, untransformative. And so what's happened is the church has been deceived to not really engage with the Word of God. So we come maybe one Sunday a month, one Sunday every couple months, and we hear the Word a little bit, and we think that that's going to fix us. It hadn't fixed us, has it? We made a decision for Christ. We're going to heaven, but we're still the old Adam and Cain with all my anger issues, with all my perversion issues, whatever it may have been. Those things are still there until we allow Him to wash us with the Word. And the statistics prove it. We quoted them a little bit in the opening of this moment, but let me give them to you again. We've been saying them every week. The uh, Center for Bible Engagement did a poll last year with over 40,000 Christians, 40,000 people, and they asked them, how often do you read the Bible and what have the effects been on your life? And And the stats are astronomical. Those who engage with the Bible, maybe just go to church on a Sunday, they hear the word one time a week, it had little effect to change them. Yes, they're going to heaven. Yes, they've made a decision for Christ. But little effects in changing their everyday person, who they were. Twice a week, reading the Bible a little bit, maybe on a Monday morning on your way to work. Twice a week engaging with the Word. Had just a little bit of a blip on the screen, but still didn't have any really transformative engagements in who you are. Three times a week, again, just a little bit more of a blip. But they recognize that at four times a week engaging with the Word that things begin to radically change in people's lives. And some of the stats were this. The feeling of loneliness dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Don't look at your husband. Uh, Bitterness in relationship dropped 40%. You you always, yes, my wife just yelled out, don't look at your wife now. Uh, Bitterness in relationship dropped 40%. Alcoholism in Christians dropped 57% as they just engaged with the Word of God at least four times a week. It didn't matter how much or the extent of it, reading the scripture for 10, 15 minutes, engaging with the rhema of God began to transition them from their old way of living, their old person, into the nature of Christ. And we all want to be like Jesus. We all want to look like him, act like him, smell like him. But why are we still acting like our old selves? It's because we're not being washed with the rhema. We're not being washed with the word of God. And so we're not changing and we're being the same person. And there's nothing more frustrating, and you've experienced it, to go to a church and meet somebody who's been saved 40 years and they still just as angry and bitter and nasty and gossipy and you're like I don't that's why a whole younger generation doesn't want to go to church because like it hadn't affected you in a positive way you got to get up on Sunday mornings we sleeping in you you go in there and do your little religious duty but it hasn't affected you you're still a pervert you're still going to the same clubs I'm going to on Friday and Saturday nights why do I want to then go give my money to some church so that they can just preach at me and tell me I'm bad That's their philosophy. And the reason that is is because we, the believer, have not allowed God to wash us with his word and transition us. And so we've been on a journey. Yeah, come on. We've been on a journey that we were viewing porn dropped 61%. Working with men and women in ministry and just always in the struggle with the perversion that just bombards all of our minds. And it just drops. Without a bunch of counseling, without a bunch of therapy, it drops 61% because four times a week you're engaging with the Word. So then I challenged us the first Sunday of the year in 2023, how about we as a church just, let's just read the Word together. And so we, we signed up on the Bible app, the Version Bible app, and we did a church reading plan just for Hill City. 
and uh, and it's a real simple. You can see the if you didn't if you weren't with us or you weren't a part of us at the, at the last few weeks, you can go ahead and you can see the QR code up. Pull out your phone, grab it, download it, and you can start reading with us. And we said we would do it for the month of January, but I don't know about you, but it's been so good for me. I'm gonna keep going. I love for you to keep going with me. I'm gonna just read through, and it's wonderful. It's like a chapter, sometimes two chapters at the most, and it's just been liberating. And to be around other believers at Hill City, and we just text in and say, "Man, did you read that? Yeah, that rocked my face off." I know I'm thinking the same thing. I need to go repent to so and so. It's just been phenomenal that we've engaged with the Word of God seven days a week, and I'm starting to see some things really shift in me, and I know it will for you as well. And as we jumped into this whole thing of reading the Word and Rama, what we decided we would do is we would take the Sunday messages. And we would take something that we read as a congregation that week in the Bible app, and then I would take it on Sunday and expand it. And so last Sunday, actually, the reading was out of Matthew chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 7. And I want to go there. I'm going to read that passage to you, and we'll break it down a little bit. You ready? Say yes. yes. Come on. You ready to get in the Word? Say yes. yes. All right. You believe in reading the Bible, right? Yes. All right, good. We're going to do it in church. So Luke chapter 7. Verse 36, all the way to verse 50. You can do it. Come on, hold on. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, who did he say it to? Himself. He says, self? No. He said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. What kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Verse 40, not in there, but it's how I see it. Jesus read his mind. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. He says, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. So he turns to her and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. Everybody say, much love. love. Say it again. Say, "Much much love. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests <gasps> said amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to break this down for just a moment. Kind of go through some of the historical context here. Um, now, a Pharisee inviting Jesus into his home for a banquet. Uh, what this was probably more about was in, in Bible times, you would have maybe a guest speaker come to your synagogue. And a Pharisee was a, um, a devout religious person to Judaism. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees were the two main groups. They kind of divided themselves in like Baptists and Methodists or whatever you want to call it. And so the Pharisees' point of view was that there is a resurrection. There are angels. Uh, Sadducees believed there were no uh, angels and there was no resurrection from the dead. And they would constantly argue back and forth in, in, in religious discussion. 
And they really would put a lot of pressure on people, the everyday common folks, to be better and, and listen to them. And, and many of them were like rabbis and teachers of the law and things like that. And so, and so the Pharisees would have kind of like um, cultural dominance and so were the Sadducees in Jewish culture. And so you lived in a small village and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be at each other. But you would have to pick kind of what side, where you believe. And, and so Jesus comes to speak in their synagogue. And so the Pharisee, this guy Simon, what he does is he does, um, it's kind of like the guest speaker comes to your church. And you're going to invite him over after church for, for a meal. And, uh, and kind of, not only that, but they've been hearing about Jesus, about how popular he, he is. And about how he's healing, healing the sick and doing the, all these miracles. So he's the talk of the town so your little village your little area hadn't had anybody popular like this so all of a sudden you know elon musk is going to come to your church all right or something like that and so and so the pharisee what he's doing is he's actually going to pull him into his home and where he's got like a banquet spot and he's going to throw a banquet for jesus and invite all his friends because see i know people who know people because i'm in the know with people and i'm somebody important because i got somebody important coming into my house so that's kind of what's happening in this whole scenario and so as jesus says yeah I'll come to your house and, and they come afterwards they're in this um, kind of a banquet setting and it would have been um, the way these homes would have been built they would have had an inner spot with walls and doors and things like that and then they would have had almost like a um, like a, a porch area it would be covered but the walls would not they, they would be open walls that way the breeze could come through and they would um, and they would have um, a, a giant table set out and they would recline at the table to eat as a banquet and so so that scenario looks a little different than the way we usually eat at a nice table we sit in chairs typically our feet are flat on the floor but the way they would do it in biblical times they would recline at a table let me give you a, actually got a picture of it and so this is kind of how it would look for them and so their feet are kind of behind them they're on, on their side a little bit sometimes you know rolled over on their stomach their faces are up front close to each other picking from the food in front of them they would even put it on their little couch they would sit on these little couches that were just a little bit up off the ground the table would have been just a little bit set about the same level of the couches or maybe even just a little higher than the couches and this is how they would recline in a banquet setting in a in a formal this is very formal this is very um important uh way that they would go about doing and they still do this in the middle east they still eat like this in the middle east uh in certain venues so jesus is there I would imagine his disciples. Now, this Pharisee has invited very special guests. And only those who were invited to sit at the table would have had a spot on one of the couches around the table. But in this scenario, it would have also been culturally acceptable to allow people to come out into the hall, into the, the banquet hall, and just kind of stand around on the outside so that they could listen to the engagement between these important people, especially rabbis, so that they could have this like listen and maybe learn and grow a little bit and be able, get to be a part of the big name minister who came through or the very important person. So all around were people who were not allowed to be at the table. They weren't getting fed, but they were able to, in, to listen to the thing that was happening as these important people were engaging in a meal and discussion. And you know that, right? Because business deals are never settled in a boardroom. They were already settled the night before at dinner. That's how or on the golf course. These people are already making decisions. Yeah, that, it's just a formality when they get in the boardroom and, quote, do whatever they're going to do and keep minutes of it and things like that. They've already been talking. And that's kind of what this feel and this setting is like. And so Jesus is there. He is reclining. We see how they were reclining on these pictures. And then it talks about this woman who comes busting in. And I just want to give you a little bit of context on this. Um, this woman um, who comes in uh, and, and begins to, to wash his feet with her tears and this kind of thing. There are two incidents in, in the Bible where two different women do something 
this similar action. Uh, this is a woman, we don't know her name. Some have tried to say she was Mary Magdalene, but there's no real proof of this. But there's another scenario, scenario in the book of John, chapter 12, where um, Mary, who is the sister of Lazarus and the sister of you know, Martha, at her home, Jesus comes after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Uh, there's some time again where Jesus comes and visits their home. And in that moment, Mary actually cracks over an, an alabaster jar and washes his feet with this beautiful perfume. But that's not this scenario. This one here in the book of Luke is about a woman who more than likely is a prostitute, has been in prostitution, has lived her life that way. And so this whole engagement goes into her as a sinful woman. And so she is allowed probably to, um, to kind of slip into the crowd. She would not have been allowed to be in a Pharisee's home. She would not have been allowed to, as a sinful woman who everyone knew was a sinful woman, she would not have been allowed to touch a rabbi or touch a priest because of her sinfulness. Because their ideology of the time is if, you're, if your sinfulness touches me, then you will affect my holiness. And so, and so they would have been horrified that Jesus... A rabbi, a teacher, would allow someone of sinfulness to touch him because of their sinfulness would affect his holiness. That would have been their ideology and their way of thinking. And so she comes into the, into the space. She gets in somehow. No one stops her. And she stands behind him, the scripture says, and she just begins to weep. And she's weeping. And she's weeping. Now, obviously, her head is not covered. And in ancient times, and you even see this still in some of the Muslim countries, that women who are married, women who are, um, if you will, of good standing, they keep their head covered. Uh, prostitutes, women who are available, un, um, keep their hair, head uncovered. And so she would have been uncovered. She would have had no covering, if you will, no man who claimed her um, as his own to cover her. And so when she walks in the room, they're already like, what has just happened? I mean... This is like, uh, I mean, it'd be, it'd be real fun to watch a transgender person go into one of our favorite Baptist churches locally, right? And just see how everybody reacts. And she walks in, and they're like, oh, no one wants to say anything. The rest of them are all reclining, so they don't really see who's necessarily behind them or around them. But Simon can see that she's behind Jesus, and he's like, what has just happened at my big fancy banquet? How dare this woman bust into my banquet... When I got my bros here, that I am finally helping them see that I'm someone important, that I can get important people to the table. And they all got a ticket to be able to ride with me and see this th and engage with this guy who's, uh, who's tearing, tearing up the world, man. And now all of a sudden, this woman is interrupting it. She's causing a problem for me. No one can concentrate on what we're talking about because this woman of ill repute has showed up and is acting this way. And she sits there and she weeps and she cries and she just pours it all out. And I just want you to think through this for a moment. She knows she's a sinful woman. Everybody knows. There are men sitting at that table that she's been with. And she's going to walk into this place knowing that they don't want her there. No, have you ever done that? Knowing that someone's going to probably throw her out. It takes this kind of, what kind of courage, what type of uh, compassion, what type, what's burning inside of her heart that she doesn't care what anyone thinks. She's going to go and wash his feet with her tears. And as she begins to cry and weep, and she washes, she begins, takes her hair, she begins to wipe his feet with her tears. And then she begins to kiss his feet, kiss his feet. Like, like whoa, how humiliating can you act right now? 
Like, what is this that you would humiliate yourself and you're already considered not worthy to be in the room by all of these religious people? And yet you don't care. And you humble yourself even further and begin to kiss his feet. And then she whips out the alabaster jar and she cracks it open. And she begins to pour it out. One scholar uh, puts the cost of that in modern times at somewhere around like a $55,000 cost. And, and, and many, many of them uh, have pointed out that that alabaster jar could have been her life savings. She could have went into prostitution because of some tragedy that happened in her life. And she had no money. And she was trying to get ahead. And so she went into this horrific way of living just so she could survive. And she's been saving up enough money to get out of the lifestyle. But she, but she can't. And it just keeps consuming her. And she knows that she's hated by everyone in this village. But at the same time, she meets Jesus. And in meeting Jesus, she can't stop crying. She can't stop kissing his feet. She can't stop. And so she goes and she gets her alabaster jar. And many scholars believe that, see, Jesus just, uh, Matthew records in the Synoptic Gospels, he records that before this incident with, at the Pharisee's house, Jesus has been speaking to the crowd and he makes that famous statement, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I don't care if the rest of the world rejects you. I don't care if you're a horrific, wicked sinner. Come to me, and I will heal you and fix you. I'll give you rest from the wickedness of sin. And she probably was sitting there and heard that and said, I want that. I want that. I want to know God. I don't want to know religion. I want to know God. And God is in the flesh in front of me. Let me go, let me go get something. And she goes and gets the most precious thing she possesses. Her life savings, everything that she has, her whole self-worth is all wrapped up in this alabaster jar. And she brings it, and once you crack it open, it's over. You can't get it back in the jar. And she starts pouring it out on his feet. And as she's doing that, Simon is hating on her. He begins to hate on her. And he literally says in his own mind, how can this man be a prophet or a man of God and not know what she is it's unbelievable and I as I've been reading through this passage I, I begin to cry out and say, Lord I don't want to be like Simon who's been in church his whole life and is so holy and so righteous and is that he's wicked and he doesn't even know it and that when Jesus is in his midst he wants to judge Jesus as though Jesus isn't righteous enough for because he would love on a sinner. Come on, are you with me? And, and, and the rejection that he's given to this woman and how dare her be in our presence. And Simon is just as much of an embarrassment because of his sin as this woman is because of her sin. But he doesn't see it. He doesn't know it. He's not aware of his own sin. Friend, let us not grow up in church and be around church so much that we're unaware of our own sin. This whole scenario, this whole engagement doesn't deal with the amount of sin. She's got more sin, he's got less sin. That's the, the whole engagement is nothing about that. But rather, how much does a person have to commit before we don't call him a sinner anymore? We're all sinners saved by grace. This is what this whole scenario is about. We're all guilty of sin of some, some sort. But there is grace and mercy with Jesus sitting at the table with us. And our responses shouldn't be like Simon's who stands in judgment of God's goodness towards others. It should be more like this woman. I am not worthy to be even allowed in the room. But you are good. And you, he, you see me. And you still love me. You see my wickedness. And you still accept me. You still call me to come. And let me stand by you. 
you. And you don't push me away and say, oh my God, you cannot touch me. How dare you touch me? It's this whole engagement as she begins to minister to Jesus. Simon has no ministry for Jesus. He's trying to uh, hedge his bets and, and, and promote his position of standing by bringing someone popular in. He has no love for Jesus. What he has is an opportunity and he's taking advantage of it. She, on the other hand, says, the king of kings and the Lord of lords reached out to me. I was standing in the crowd when he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And I will take him up on that pledge. I will go to him and say, here I am in all my brokenness. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care if I embarrass myself. I just got to get to him. And as she's standing behind him with weeping and weeping and weeping, Jesus doesn't kick her away. He doesn't say, get rid of her. There she touched me. He allows her to minister to him. I was with my friend, Pastor Michael Miller, this week. He pastors Upper Room. It's a great, great ministry. They got great international uh, influence. And he said, he said, Pastor, out of this passage, shifted everything for Upper Room. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I was reading through this passage. And I got to this place where this woman begins to minister to Jesus. He said, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Michael, your whole church is to bring people in so I can minister to them. But you've not taught the people to come and minister to me. And Jesus literally compares the two groups of people. Those who are in church trying to benefit from Jesus. And that one who runs to Jesus to minister to him and their brokenness. And he begins to compare the two, and he goes into a dissertation. He says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. Yes, Rabbi. He said, two men owed money to a lender. One owed <laughs> 500, and the other one owed 50. And that lender did something that's unheard of. He canceled both their debts. Now, let me explain to you in biblical times, if you owed money. Now, I know some of you owed a lot of money right now to the credit cards. Some of you owe a lot of money. You get to the place where you can't pay it. The United States is crazy. They just let you file bankruptcy and start again. But that's not how it happened in biblical times. If you owed money to someone and you couldn't pay your debt, they had multiple options under Roman law that they could do. One of the things they could do was they could come in and take all of your possessions and sell them to be able to pay your debt that you owed the, the lender. If that wasn't enough, they could take your children and enslave your children until your children paid off the debt that you owed them. If that wasn't enough, they could take you, your, your spouse, and make you a slave. That's how most slavery happened in these times, is they were endured slavery they, they, because, of, because they owed, indentured, excuse me. And so they had, they had to pay off their debts. And until they did, they were slaves for these different, these different wealthy people. And so can't you see? So that's why the wealthy continue to get wealthy and the poor continue to get poor. And Jesus comes and he breaks all that. And he says to him, he says, so Simon, <clears throat> which one do you think is going to be more in love with the lender? He says, I suppose the one who owed the most. That's right. Because he could have never paid it back. He would have had to become that person's slave had he not canceled the debt. Simon, don't you get it? You all owe God because of your sinfulness. This woman, though, 
she loves much. You love little. She loves much. And then he goes down through a comparison. And I literally want to help you see what Jesus does in this moment is he qualifies what, what much love looks like. He starts with number one. He says, I came into your house, number one. He said, and you didn't even give me anything to wash my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet. You didn't even give me any water. Now, it was customary when you came into someone's home, when you came to a banquet. Th these guys are walking on dirt roads all day long. I mean, I want you to think about a bunch of junior high kids at the end of school. Okay? Right. Been out playing football practice. Take them socks off. Ooh, dear Jesus. Okay? And so they, they funky. Let me just, sorry, I went all street on you, but they funky. And so it was, you would not sit down at a nice banquet without first having your feet washed. And it was the duty, the responsibility of the homeowner, the one throwing the banquet, to have prepared for you. And typically it was a servant that was there with a bucket of water washing your feet. Or if they could not afford or did not want to have a servant, they would provide you a bucket and you'd wash your own feet. He said, Simon, you didn't even have enough love and respect for me to even offer me water to wash my own feet. But this woman brought her tears her tears, her tears, and I connect those tears to her pain, her pain. And I would say this to you and me, Jesus doesn't want us to hold our pain back from him. In fact, the true love is when you and I are humble enough to say, I cannot fix it. And it's really, Jesus, I don't want to go another day. And so I wash your feet with my brokenness and my sinfulness and my, and, and my humiliation, oh God, because of the pain I'm in, because of my own bad decisions, because of my own sinfulness. And she begins to wash his feet. And he says, she has not stopped. And then she took her beautiful hair and she dried them. You didn't even love me enough or respect me enough to even provide water for me. I would say to you, much love looks like this. When you and I come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I recognize I am broken and undone. And Lord God, I can't stop my sinful ways. And it's created pain for my wife. It's created pain for my, my, my um, co-workers. And Jesus, I'm asking you now to forgive me. And we bring our brokenness to him. We bring our pain to him. And God, I promise you, does something supernatural in that moment as this love engagement between us and the one who saves our soul. Pastor Ryan Wood, who's a former staff member here at Hill City, he and his beautiful wife, Sarah, they took a church south of here a couple years ago. And, uh, and I'm still very involved in their life. I'm kind of an oversight for their church and, and, and their pastoral leadership. And uh, last year, Pastor Ryan was really going through a real tough time, and I gave him counsel. I said, I think you should go on one of these quests. And um, there are these, these ministries that do these, you know, go, go away and be with Jesus, uh, you know, for four or five days. Turn off your cell phone. They'll take you through some, some journey pieces and some biblical pieces and just allow God to heal you and, and minister to you. And so Pastor, Pastor Ryan went on one. And, um, and so afterwards, um, I'm talking to him. I said, Man, tell me what happened. He goes, well, we're not allowed to really talk about all the different counsel and all the different teachings. He goes, but let me tell you, I was three days into this thing going, where are you, God? I still can't find you, God. And he said, and I was laying on the floor of this little cabin by myself. He said, and all of a sudden, he said, the Lord came into the room. 
And when he came into the room, he said, I've been asking, Lord, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing that? Why can't I fix this? Why can't I overcome this? He said, he immediately brought me back to something in my childhood that I had not quite understood. He said, and in that moment, he goes, I begin to weep from my pain of the difficulty that happened in my childhood. He said, I just kind of over the years just covered over and covered over and I never really dealt with it. He says, in that moment, I said, God, you've got to heal me. You've got to heal me. He said, and Pastor Adam, he said, I wept. I cried. A grown man on the floor crying for 30 minutes to an hour to two hours to three hours. He said, and the crying started with pain. It started with, oh, the suffrage. And I didn't even realize this deep thing was happening inside me. He goes, but then the crying shifted to joy that you are healing me in this moment. He said, I kept crying and laughing and crying and laughing and crying and laughing. And as he was telling me, I just couldn't help but picture this woman just weeping before the Lord with all of the scowl of everyone in the room. How dare you make this a messy moment? How dare you embarrass us and break down our little plan that we had and our little agenda? How dare? And she's like, I don't care because God is here and I've touched the Lord and he's touching me as I pour out my soul to him. And he says to him, Simon, you didn't even care enough. You've been in church your whole life and you've studied the word. And you didn't even have enough respect for God in the house to even give me water. I don't want to be Simon. I want to love much. I don't want to love little. I know how much he's delivered me from. Come on, somebody. I know how deep my debt was. I know how deep my debt was, and I know that I should be a slave to my old sin, but God has set me free and canceled my debt. Are you with me? Say yes. And then he brings it to the second piece. He goes... And you didn't even kiss me when I came in your house. Which is, everyone knows, if you do any kind of Middle Eastern cultural studies today, and especially in ancient times, when you had a guest over, the first thing you did in front of everyone, it's a photo op moment, is you would welcome them and you would kiss them on either side, of their, of their, uh, on either cheek. It was a sign, you are welcomed in my home. I honor you. I honor you and I welcome you. My home is your home. In this moment, all that I have is available to you. I honor you and respect you. He said, you didn't even kiss me. He says, but since she's gotten in the room, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. She's pouring out her affection. Guys, how shameful for us in times where we gather Sunday services or small group or in times with our family that we don't ever pour out any affection. That we hold it back. I just don't want to be someone who loves little. I want to be a part of a church who loves a lot. I want us to have much love for our Jesus. I want us to pour it out. And she's kissing his feet. And it's embarrassing to her. It's embarrassing to everyone else. But she doesn't care. Because true love doesn't hold back affection. True love pours out affection. It pours out affection. Pours out affection. And being affectionate, I'm telling you, one of the greatest things my dad ever taught me was the way he loved on my mama. The way he kissed her and the way he held her hand and the way he opened the door, the way he poured out his affection on her and lavished her with words of love. And he didn't hold that back because he's a man. Uh, you know, I told you I loved you when we got married. If I changed my mind, I'd let you know. All right, so I don't need to tell you every day and all the time like it. Uh, the greatest thing that Pop ever taught me was how to be affectionate towards the one he loves. 
And some of you have used the way you grew up and the way you are as an excuse to not pour out affection. Friend, get free from that. Let us be free from that. He is worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my love. All glory and honor is due to him for he saved me. He pulled me out of the miry clay and he put my feet on a rock to stay. And I'm forever, ever grateful for the love that he showed me and has delivered me from my own wickedness. Are you with me today? Say yes. Affection it before the Lord our God. I got saved in a denominational church that no one lifted their hands. No one showed affection to the Lord when we gathered. And we had a radical encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we ended up sh shifting churches to a church that was a charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit-filled, whatever you want to call it. We didn't know what any of that meant at the time. All we knew was everyone in that room seemed like they really loved Jesus. But there was one particular lady who loved him differently than everybody else. This was a 6,000-seat sanctuary, big building. But on that front row was this one little lady. She looked like she was about 65, 75 range. You know, you never want to pick a woman's age. But anyway, she was in that range. And the moment we would start into worship, and this is in the 80s, and in the 80s we sang songs for an hour, by the way. Just want to bring that back. We all had tambourines, and we danced. We did this little dance thing that we did, you know, because we were weird. Anyway, and so, but this little lady on the front row, she would do this. The moment worship hit, she would just do this. For an hour. I just did it for 10 seconds, three, three seconds. I'm about to throw up. She would spend for an hour. We called her Twirly Bird. We nicknamed her. All the young people were like, there goes Twirly Bird. And you were always hoping that she was not at church that Sunday if you were bringing a friend. Because you didn't want to have to explain, yeah, that lady, she's, we're not all like that. Our church is cool. Our pastor's awesome. You'll really like it. You know how you do when you're trying to invite somebody, like, um, hopefully Pastor Adam doesn't say that again. Uh, hopefully Pastor Lance doesn't do that. He's weird. I know. I mean, so sorry. And you're trying to give them the best scenario so they can feel comfortable or whatever it is. But in the process of that, have we lost affection and true love? And this lady would spin and spin and spin and spin, and I would stand in judgment of her like, that's stupid. Like, come on now. That's for attention. Finally, one day, being a Simon, a Pharisee, I asked somebody, like, why does she do that? Like, that's so dumb. They said, you don't know her story? No, I don't. Yeah, she was dying of cancer. They sent her home and said, there's nothing we can do for you. You've got a week left to live. Grandkids, kids were all brought in. Get your last moments with mom because she's dead. And one night... After they had sent her home, she's laying in bed, praying to God, and Jesus comes and sits at the foot of her bed, touches her toe, and immediately the cancer leaves her body. When she got to church the next Sunday to tell us what had happened, as she began to tell on stage the miracle, she started turning and saying, God's so good. And, she, and they said, she hadn't stopped spinning since. I thought, well... She doesn't care what we think because she's not loving us. She's loving the one who saved her life. 
She's pouring out her affection. I think maybe sometimes when we gather, we should stop worrying about what so-and-so thinks and so-and-so over there thinks. And what if we just lavish our love upon him? What if we just say, Jesus, I'm here to minister to you. You've been so good to me. I'm not holding back any love. So I will shout your name in earth. I will call out who, how great you are and what you've been for me. And so all men may know that I love you and I don't care what they think. That's what the attitude of this woman was. And Jesus called that much love. Say it with me. Much love. Turn to the person next to you and say much love. And then Jesus continues to go on and compare Simon to this prostitute. He continues on. And he says, and not only that, but the moment I came into your house, it was typical that they would have like a little perfume, a little bit of oil. And, um, and the reason that is is because, again, they do not have air-conditioned units. Um, they're in tight quarters when they're at the synagogue. People are all around each other. They're sweating. They stink. They've been walking everywhere. So when you come into a banquet, not only would they wash, their, wash your feet, many times they would have a towel for you to wipe, wipe your face. face. And then af after that, then they would give you a little bit of perfume because we're about to all sit around. You saw they're sitting at the table. We're all about to be sitting around on top of each other, and you funky. And so we need some. <laughs> We need something to cover the funk, you know? And so here's a little bit of perfume. And, they, and, the, and the host would offer that, and it would be an expense. It would be an added expense. And so that's why poor people didn't have banquets and didn't invite people over. And so the fact that he would do this meant that he should have had that. And Jesus says, you didn't even offer me any perfume just to put on my head, just to refresh myself, just, you know, even to put under my lips, uh, on my lips so I don't have to smell uh, Thomas because he stinks. You know, I don't have any, you didn't give me any of that. He goes... But this woman went and got mm -hmm. the most valuable right. thing she possessed. Right. And she ripped it open, ripped off the top of the jar, and has been pouring this expensive perfume on my feet. And I would connect that to her valuables. Jesus literally is connecting what much love and little love looks like. And he says, and much love looks like this. That she didn't hold back from me her valuables. She didn't say, you can have this part of me, Jesus, but you can't have this part of me. You can have this, but I won't let you have this. He literally says, and this is what much love looks like. As she pours out the alabaster jar. There have been lots of beautiful songs sung about it. Now, I often wonder the motivation. What is going on in this woman's heart? What's going on in this woman's mind? But I have a point of reference for this. See, years ago, when I was a youth minister, me, me and Miss Jamie, um, we had a large youth ministry, and we began to have what we would call revival. We didn't plan it. God began to show up. People began to repent. These expressions begin to happen. Supernatural things begin to happen. Once, one Wednesday night, I went to preach to about 500 young people in our youth service, and as I went to preach, I got frozen. Right? Do with it what you want. I'm frozen. I, I cannot move for two hours. Students begin to have downloads from heaven. They begin to fall out of their seat and weep on the floor under the conviction of God. And I'm frozen. At the end of two hours, I came out of it. I could see them. I could kind of hear what was going on, but I could not do anything about it. I was conscious, but I was not, I was not, um, it was, I was frozen. I don't know any, I would say, why did God do that? I have no idea. I guess he was working. He needed me to shut up so he could do something to these guys, I guess. That's all I could figure. Came out of it, it was super nice. We began to have meetings like this, meetings, meetings. So we decided... That we were going to have, uh, we were going to have services for young people Monday through Friday every night. Anybody wants to come, and in the middle of that, we heard the Lord say, "Get a giant casket, 
And so we did. We got a giant casket, put it up on the stage. And anything you wanted to throw away, anything you wanted to break away from, anything that you uh, have been, has been connected, come throw it up in this casket because we're going to bury it at the end of the month. <clears throat> Every night for four weeks. And we're going to bury this casket in the end of the month, set it on fire. And that old way of living is gone. It's a sign that you no longer want to live like that and be like that. And so people, young people begin to come up and they throw their drugs, their drug paraphernalia. Uh, one gal came and brought her Daisy Duke shorts. She said, this is how I track boys when I go to the mall and things like this and I don't want to be that person anymore she threw her Daisy Duke shorts but the most notable that I'd ever experienced in those in those four weeks was a young black man who had uh, we had gotten saved years earlier he's a good kid man loved this kid but he had that whole you know I got to be a thug life and so he went back into this thug life kind of thing didn't need to had good parents he wasn't forced into it but it was kind of like that was popular in his day so he did he got him a cutlass and he had put these rims on it for selling drugs. And uh, in those days, um, you know, he, he bought those gold rims. Some of you may remember it, gold Dayton's from the 90s. It was like 1992. Anybody remember the gold Dayton's? All right, so he paid about three grand for that in those days. And I'll never forget, we were in the service, and he began to weep uncontrollably. And then you saw this thing come over him. And he ran out of the service. I was like, well, hope he's okay. And we kept ministering and stuff. He came back 30 minutes later. He's got all four of those rims. He throws them in the casket. Pow! And he goes, and he grabbed the mic. He said, PA, can I testify? I said, yeah. He goes, my whole life I wanted to be somebody that everybody respected. So I got to selling drugs, not because, not because I really wanted that lifestyle. He said, because I wanted to be somebody. And it was the quickest way to make the most money. And he said, and one of the key moments for me that I had arrived was whenever I was able to buy $3,000 worth of rims, these gold Dayton's. They were a status symbol for me. Jesus, Jesus has forgiven me, and Jesus has healed me tonight, and there is nothing that I will withhold from him. And so I've taken these rims, and he threw them up in the cask. Well, then, as a pastor, I'm like, hey, bro, um, like, if we turn our back on it, somebody else in here going to rip them things off, man. So I said, do you really mean that? He goes, I mean it. I said, well, we got a sledgehammer in the shed at back of the church. You want to really do a, a number on them? And so we got out there, and he banged those $3,000. I mean, they were never going to ride again. And then we put them in the casket where no one would try to recoup them for <laughs> selfish ambition. It was the most purest form of much love I had seen up until that point. Nothing, nothing is more valuable than being with you, Jesus. And the deliverance that you brought me. Yeah. And the restoration of my soul. I don't care what people think. I don't care what my past sin was. I, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he turns to her. Mm -hmm. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. The moment he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Everyone in the room begins to judge him. How? Only God can forgive sins. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And he tells her, your sins are forgiven. What's that worth to you? What's it worth to you and me? Simon didn't think his sins needed to be forgiven because he's not aware of his sins anymore because he has become, if you will, a religious individual. Wow. And he has no relationship with the living God. He knows all about the living God. He studies the living God. He knows the words of the living God. But he doesn't know the living God. He can't even recognize when the living God is sitting in his living room. He can't even see it. Whereas this prostitute recognizes that's God. I want him, and he, I need him, and that's all I need. And gives up everything of value in her life just to be in relationship with the living God. And Jesus confronts Simon on his inability to see 
that I'm in the house prepared to forgive you just as much as I will forgive her. But you have no awareness of how wicked you've become. See, his sin was the sin of pride, judgment, false humility, self-protection. All of these internal things that people don't really see. Hers were obviously. There were sins that everyone knew about. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. He forgave her because she asked for forgiveness. Because she bowed her knee. She poured out her love and affection. And Jesus responded with, sweetheart, you don't have to live like this anymore. You are free. Your debts have been canceled. Go in peace. I don't know about you. But I want to be a person who loves much. I don't want to love little. I don't want to get caught up having been a Christian for so many years that I don't recognize that I still need to repent. And I still am so grateful that he canceled my debts of the past and of the present. That I would hold back my love for him and that I wouldn't lavish my love on him. I don't want anything that I possess to mean more to me than him. Not a set of rims, not a house, not a bank account. Come on, somebody. Not a job, not a degree. Jesus, you and you alone are the love of my life and the center of my world. Do me a favor. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to let the Lord minister to us for just a moment. I would call you and me into a moment as we close out this series about Rhema, the revelation of God through his word. That the greatest revelation that we could walk away with is that he desires us to minister to him and that we love much and not love little. So here's what I'd like you to do for a moment. There are three prayers I want to challenge you to pray this week, multiple times throughout the week. Here's the first prayer I'd like you to consider praying, and that is, Lord, make me aware of my sinfulness. I don't want to stand in judgment of everybody else and say, well, I'm not as bad as they are. I go to church. Lord, make me aware of my sinfulness. That's the first prayer I want you to commit to praying this week. Here's the second prayer I'd love for you to commit to, and that is, Lord, help me grasp your love and your grace for me. Some of you carry so much shame because you don't understand his love and his grace. This woman, this woman fought through the shame, busted through the crowd of judgmental people, grabbed a hold to the feet of Jesus and said, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I found the love of heaven and earth I found the one the only one who can save my soul and free me from my sin the only one who can cancel the debt that I owe so I'd like you to commit to that prayer this week Lord help me grasp your love for me where it doesn't matter what anybody thinks the grace that you keep pouring out on me let me not become like Simon who just takes your grace and your love for granted And then the third prayer I would ask you to pray throughout the week with me. And that is, Lord, help me show my love to you. Holy Spirit, help me show love to Jesus. Not worry about what everybody else thinks. Help me not hold back affection because I grew up in a home that didn't know how to show affection. Because I got saved in a church that said affection is wrong. Wrong, wrong. That's emotionalism. Lord, help me show my love to you I'm not comfortable with expressing affection to you Jesus I don't know how to do it real well 
so help me. These are the three prayers I'd ask you to commit to. With your head bowed and your eye closed for a moment, would you just go ahead and whichever one of those really grab your heart, would you begin to pray that right now? Lord, make me aware of my sinfulness. Lord, help me grasp your love and your grace for me. Lord, help me show you the love that you deserve. Would you bring those prayers before the Lord right now? Lord, hear the cry of your people. Hear my cry, Jesus. I don't want to be like Simon. Lord, I've been in church since I was a young man. Lord God, you've forgiven me of so much. You've healed me of so much. You've canceled so many debts. But Lord, I don't want to become the one who looks at you in judgment and says, oh, mm -hmm. you obviously don't know a lot. You're going to let this person get close to you. Lord, I don't want to be unaware of my brokenness and my sinfulness. Jesus, I want to be like the woman who came and threw her love upon you and didn't care what anybody thought. I want to be considered one who has much love, who loves much. Who lo I want heaven to look around and go, I tell you that Adam McCain loves much. Tell you what, that Adam McCain's got so much love for our Savior. Jesus, let that be who all of us become in Hill City, those who love much. As you keep your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to give a call to anyone who might would say, Pastor, i got to be honest. If I died today, I don't think I'd go to heaven. I, I, I don't think I would. Maybe you used to go to church. Uh, maybe you used to know God, and, and life happened, and you walked away. You're separated or divorced. Maybe you've never known Jesus as a Savior, as a lover of your soul. And you recognize today that your sin, your sin will literally will testify against you on that day and sentence you to hell. But today, you recognize the grace and the love of Jesus. And you want to fall on that grace. You want him to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to give money to the church or to missions or to orphanages. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. I know that sounds simple. That's because Jesus did all the heavy lifting when he climbed up on that cross. And he paid for every sin you and I would ever commit. And so today, if you've been away from the Lord or you've never been a Christian, would you let me lead you in a prayer of repentance? A prayer of confessing with your mouth that he is your Lord and Savior. Of giving him your heart of letting him forgive you of the sins that you've committed, owning the fact that you've been a sinner who needs a Savior. And today, with no one looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, the cameras will not zoom in on you. This is a deep, private, eternal moment. Do you want Jesus? Do you want to confess him with your mouth as you believe with him in your heart? And would you like me to lead you in a prayer that repent, that, that, uh, prayer of repentance and dedication to him. And if that's you, say, Pastor, yeah, that's me. Would you lift your hand so I know who that is? I'm going to lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. I'm not going to call you forward. God bless you. Yes, sir, I will lead you in a prayer of repentance. I will help you. I will lead you up. Anyone else? Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready. I want to get right with the Lord. I want to repent of my sins. I want to ask him to be the Lord of my life. Anyone else? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your response. You can put your hands down. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. And I'm asking that everyone in the room would pray out loud alongside of you to repeat these words. There's nothing magical about the words, but supernatural as you threw your hand up and said, yes, I want to repent. Yes, I want to confess Jesus as my Lord. So let's do that now. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner and I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I repent of my sins. Change my mind. I turn away from them. Jesus, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Thank you 
for dying on the cross for me. I accept your forgiveness. And Jesus, I ask you now, write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now that overwhelming peace would come into the heart, mind, life of those who just cried out to you. Peace. They don't have to fight anymore. They're not running away from you anymore. The elephant has been removed from the room. They're, 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 not, in, they're not combative with you anymore. They've surrendered to you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that they would have a joy. The Bible calls it the joy of our salvation. The joy of recognizing, wait a minute, I may not be perfect, but I'm forgiven. And if I die in a car accident today, tomorrow, I'm going to be ushered into his loving arms. Because he has forgiven me. He paid the debt that I owed. He relinquished me from what I owed. And I'm debt free now. Me and God are on right terms. Jesus, I pray that they would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that they can't hardly even describe. And I also pray, Lord God, that you would give them good Christian friends, godly folks, that they could do life with in Jesus' name. Lord, it's already hard enough. And to do it alone is not possible. Lord, we need others that you would bring around us. So I ask for that for him in Jesus' name. And I thank you. You've been so good. And I bless the name of the Lord in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Let's applaud how good God has been today and throughout the week to us. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond. And again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.